The burden of mental health care in developing countries is a global challenge. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Vikram Patel. Dr. Patel is Professor of International Health and Wellcome Trust Clinical Research Fellow in Tropical Medicine at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Thank you, Dr. Patel, for joining us. Thank you for having me, Morris. To begin with, could you speak to the importance of mental illness in developing countries, particularly in the context of the enormous burden they face of social adversities and physical health problems? Well, I think, firstly, mental disorders are just as important a health concern in developing countries as they are in any other part of the world. And in fact, the sorts of issues and challenges that you mentioned, Morris, the issues of social adversities and physical health problems make, in fact, mental disorders even more important in developing countries because both of these challenges are intimately associated with the risk for mental illness. I know that you're involved with an organization called Sangraph. It is the winner of the John and Catherine MacArthur Award recently. Could you tell me what the mission of that organization is? Sangat is a non-profit organization based in India whose primary mission is the promotion of emotional and mental health of children, adolescents, and families. And it does so both by providing services, but more importantly, by innovating new mechanisms of delivering mental health services in low-resource environments and carrying out the research to demonstrate its effectiveness. I know in Lancet several years ago you wrote about health care in Goa, which is where I believe Sangrath is maintained or where it has its main office. Could you tell me something about your research then and has your conclusions then changed over the last four or five years? Well, actually, Morris, my research in mental health in developing countries stretches back to more than 10 years. In fact, I started working in Zimbabwe in southern Africa before I moved to Goa. And if you had asked me what was the most important lessons I have learned over these last 10 or 12 years of researching mental illness in developing countries, the first was that I was initially very skeptical that conditions like depression actually could be identified and were important causes of suffering in developing countries. I've certainly changed my view on that. And secondly, that we needed highly trained mental health specialists to deliver mental health care in these settings Again, I've had to revise my view on that as well. There's one billion people in India, and I read someplace that there are 3,000 psychiatrists, and you bring up an interesting point. Who is going to be the provider of care in countries where professional psychiatrists and psychologists are so limited? Well, that's really been the most singular challenge to scaling up mental health care in developing countries, the enormous human resource crunch. I should add, this is not only true of developing countries. All my friends in America also remind me there are vast tracts in this country which also suffer from a shortage of skilled human resources. My solution has been the same solution that has been adopted in other areas of public health, which is to look at less specialized health workers within the health system, such as primary care doctors, nurses, community health workers, and even non-health workers, what some people might call lay health workers, who are appropriately trained and supervised by specialists to deliver a variety of specific treatments for mental health problems. Well, how do you improve mental health literacy? I mean, that's what you're talking about. How do you go about training people like this? Well, 
that's a very important challenge. One has to first of all identify what is the evidence-based treatment that one wishes to deliver. Let me give you one example. For example, cognitive behavior therapy for people suffering from depression. We know when given by properly trained specialists, this is a very effective treatment for depression. What our challenge then is to identify which of these ingredients of CBT can be translated into feasible and acceptable packages that can be delivered, say, for example, by a lay health worker, and then evaluating whether the lay health worker delivered CBT is as effective as a specialist delivered CBT. What does your data show? Has it been as effective? Well, there's data not just from our work in India, but in fact also work in the West that shows that if properly trained, Lay health workers or non-specialist health workers can deliver a whole range of psychological treatments with appropriate training and supervision. Your patients or clients have not been exposed to psychiatric modalities, even in the United States. It's very difficult in my office practice sometimes to convince somebody that they might benefit from psychotherapy. I wonder that this might be even a greater problem in India or other countries where they're used to having physical treatment when they see their doctors, laying on of hands, rather than, as we know, psychotherapy involves. You're absolutely right. And this is precisely one more reason why the acceptability of non-mental health specialists to deliver care for mental health problems is much greater because the stigma often attached to seeing a mental health specialist uh, prohibits, in fact, the use of such services, even if they exist. So our use of lay health workers actually makes mental health care more acceptable and more accessible to a much wider range, a wider proportion of the population. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Vikram Patel. Dr. Patel is Professor of International Mental Health at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And we're talking about the scaling up or the use of non-MDs to provide psychotherapy and other modalities in mental health. My initial response is that very often patients respond better when a physician hands them a medication. And you're suggesting that somebody in your community who gives you a medication, you might incorporate, respond, and get even a placebo effect that you might not have gotten before. Well, no, let me actually correct that point of view. What I'm saying is that in the absence of a qualified specialist MD, we can think of innovative ways of delivering mental health care without having necessarily to rely on a specialist to arrive in that clinic. I see. I know you've written a book where there are no psychiatrists. That's right, yes. Could you comment on that book? Would that book fit into what you and I are now discussing? Absolutely. I'm talking about vast tracts of the world where simply there are no psychiatrists, there are no psychologists, there are no social workers. It is in these vast tracts of the world where one has to think of alternative ways of providing mental health care, and that book was written for those sorts of settings. In the book, which I've looked at, various vignettes or various clinical situations are mentioned. From these situations, can a trained technician learn how to recognize them and possibly use them in a clinic situation? 
Well, that's certainly the intention. I mean, the book was meant to be a manual about a makeum, a practical guide for community health workers to be able to understand, to detect, and to provide simple mental health first aid to people suffering from mental disorders. But of course, I do recognize that a book alone is never going to be sufficient to give you the sort of practical experience and confidence to deal with such complex problems. But it is a start. What are the medications that you feel comfortable would be adequate to treat, say, depression or anxiety in a rural area? I think just as you might have in the U.S., no different really. Low-cost, evidence-based antidepressants such as the old SSRIs or even tricyclic antidepressants, any of these medicines provided they're affordable and you can ensure a regular supply chain would be the medicines of choice. There's some suggestion that these medications may be as cost-effective as treatment for AIDS. How would you respond to that? No, that's absolutely right. In fact, the World Health Organization has carried out analyses of the cost-effectiveness of treatments for different conditions. And in fact, we do know that depression, that the pharmacological treatment of depression is as cost-effective as the use of antiretrovirals for the treatment of HIV-AIDS. I think what that just confirms is that it is not inexpensive or unaffordable intervention to treat depression in developing countries. Is there a problem locally to get patients to come to a clinic? Is there a stigma that they don't want to go to? And also, we know that it's very difficult to give up any time from work to come to see your doctor. Actually, people in India and other countries live on a day-to-day basis to survive, to have food and shelter, and to miss a day of work is really a problem. How do you get them to come to a clinic and give up time from work? I think that's a very accurate observation. Well, first of all, we plan to provide care for people who are already coming to the clinic. So our focus is on treating those people who are already attending their primary care centers or their primary care physician clinics, improving the detection of depression in these patients, and then providing a package of psychological and social interventions in addition to antidepressants that their doctor might choose to give. I think the fact that many people are on day wages and that every visit to the clinic often means that they lose that day's income means that we have to think very carefully about how we minimize the number of visits that a patient needs to make to the doctor's office. So, for example, by providing more generous amounts of medication and by spacing out psychotherapy appointments so that they coincide with the appointments to see the doctor. I see. And coming to the village clinic doesn't present a stigma. I know in many countries, India certainly comes to mind, there's a real stigma to things like epilepsy, tuberculosis, that it may even affect women in particular, that their chances of becoming married are affected by this. Does this also apply to mental health? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, an author in India has actually written, uh, Amita Danda, has written about the double burden of stigma that women with mental illness face, or indeed people with HIV and mental illness might face. So absolutely. Mental illness is a source of enormous stigma and discrimination in India as it is in almost all parts of the world. It sounds like you're merging mental health into other functions of a clinic so that, one, it empowers the community and it empowers actually the patient to take charge of his illness, especially when it's done locally. That's right. I think what we're trying to do is to destigmatize mental illness in a number of different ways. And as you mentioned, one of them is by integrating mental health care with the physical health care that people receive in their regular clinics so that we don't split mental health off from their other health interests and needs. 
but also by using non-specialists to provide health care for mental illness. What we're doing is demystifying mental illness. Is there a problem with adherence? With antidepressants, we know in the United States, certainly patients begin to feel better and then stop their medication. Also, they often have side effects and they have to deal with their doctor on a day-to-day or frequent basis to try to work through the side effects. Does the same thing exist in your model? Oh, absolutely. I think adherence is the great challenge for all chronic diseases, whether it's depression or schizophrenia in the mental disorder spectrum or it's TBH, HIV, infectious diseases or heart disease and diabetes. I think one has to accept that adherence is a challenge and plan on a number of different strategies, evidence-based strategies that might be utilized to promote and improve adherence with medication. I want to thank Dr. Patel for being our guest, and we've been discussing mental health in developing countries. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening.